But every so often it becomes important as a pastor to speak directly to issues that come up in the life of the church and of the world. I felt called today and in talking with the session of this church felt it necessary to sort of talk about where we are as a church and some of the conversations that we're having as a church. Some people have heard about those and been nervous about some of that. So I want to just really address it directly and also give you some uh, spiritual guidance for some of the things that are going on. For backstory, in 2010, I became the pastor of this church as a little snot-nosed seminary student. I did not know what I was doing. Uh, I was not ordained, uh, and it was a big experiment to see if I could, could handle this. In 2012, as I finished seminary, church made a decision to bring me on full-time. Thought was that I was a fit here, and I feel like it was going well. Um, the church had not been able to support a full-time pastor for a number of years at that point. Um, but the church had built up some savings, and the thought was, well, let's keep this going. That was five years ago. That was also really made possible by a gift of Grace Makita, who gave her home to the church and allowed the church to have a place for me to stay without having to pay a, a rent or mortgage or what's called a housing allowance in our system. In that time, uh, we've done a lot as a church. Seen our ministry uh, change, and we've done changes to our worship service, added new people. Uh, at the same time, I've done about 20 funerals in my time here. We've had people move away, and we've had things come up in the life of our church, all, all natural parts of what it means to be a church. We've done a lot to fix up our building, including a lot of cleaning and a lot of moving things around. Two major, very necessary expenses in the roof and the boiler that often throw churches for a loop when they come up. And we did them all within about two months of each other. We also decided to put a lift in at the church and uh, make our church accessible for years to come. And have people be able to get around in this church much, much easier. All in all, we've raised to date $122,178 in the midst of that capital campaign. Our church has a great spirit and a healthier culture. We got our finances organized, so we're very clear on where we are, and we've cut a lot of extraneous expenses, we've got a lot of control of where our money is as a church. But still, for five years, we've been using savings every year to cover the gap between what we receive and what we spend in a normal part of the ministry of our church. We now find ourselves, as we knew was possible, and as we've been talking about along the way, running lower on the savings. As of this week, we have about $8,416 in the checking account and about $17,259 in the savings. So about $25,000. Um, we're not out, but it's getting lower, and it's getting to where we know this can't continue forever. In addition, we've got about $8,000 in the memorial fund, $4,400 in the young adults, and about $5,600 in the capital campaign. We're already a third of a way to fixing the stairs. So here's the big picture. Our church has actually not been able to afford having a pastor here 40, 40 hours a week, full time, for about 20 years now. We've been using savings to do it with me, and that's getting low. Um, and our ability to do that in the future is kind of in question. Again, this shouldn't be a surprise. We've been talking about it. We talked about it when I came on and even earlier this year in every congregational meeting we've had, we've talked about it. It's coming a little sooner than we expected. Uh, earlier this year, I told the congregation we would run out of savings in about three years if nothing changed. 
And uh, our giving's still down a little bit, which means that's coming a little quicker than we thought. Giving for this year, if you want to know the numbers, uh, at the end of June was $45,270. That's about $5,600 behind where we were at the same time last year and even further from the year before that. I should also probably point out, this is by far the worst time of the year to look at our finances, right? Because everybody's on vacation, everybody's going all kinds of places. This is the, the kind of dip in the year. And uh, in the summer, we have vacation Bible school and a lot of other stuff where our expenses stay. And uh, giving goes down a little bit. And then we typically bounce back as fall comes in and as we get towards Christmas, kind of bounce even up. So it's the worst time of year to look. But even comparing to previous years, um, we're tight. We're tight. So let me be very clear on, on the question that we have right now. Okay. What we're not talking about here is our church closing. Period. I want to make that really clear. Closing. The word closing should be a swear word around here. Okay? It's not even in our vocabulary. We're not even anywhere close to that. And if anybody says the word closing, you have my permission to bop them on the head. Okay? Don't tell them, but we're not. We're not anywhere close. In fact, this church is healthier and stronger in a lot of ways than it's been in a long time. Okay? The question is not about closing, so don't even use the word, and if anybody does, you correct them right away. That's not the conversation. The question is one of full-time ministry. Can this church afford to have a pastor full-time? And the question for about 20 years has been no, and the answer at this time is probably still no. And so that puts us with some hard questions and conversations to have about what to do next. And I and the session are trying to be proactive in that. And we have wondered if we could partner with another church to potentially share a pastor. Um, in fact, this week we're having a conversation with a church about eventually the possibility of doing just that. It's very early. I don't know that it would work out. Just because we have conversations doesn't mean it's happening. But people have heard about that conversation and gotten nervous. So we're trying to clarify a little bit here. Uh, we've wondered if, uh, and this has been brought up at congregational meetings, not by the session, but from the congregation, that we have some extra property that we bought in 1999 haven't done anything with, um, except for pay to mow it, really. Uh, might there be a better resource there that would not be a fix to all our problems, but might it be good stewardship to, to look at that? And so we've had some meetings around that, and we're trying to explore what that would look like. Any of these things, we would talk to you all before we did them. Okay, um, there's this there's this kind of thing where we think sessions doing all these secret things and not talking to everybody, and it's just it's just not true. Okay, we're talking to you, and we'll continue to talk to you about it. Do we need a pastor that works another job, and we're willing to explore all kinds of options because we don't know what God has for us? And it's not an easy conversation. It's not an easy conversation for me, right? I have four kids. I can't have a part-time job with four kids. So they're not easy, not easy conversations. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Session and I are not just sitting around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for a lightning bolt from God to say, here's what you're going to do. We're, we're going out knocking on doors and we're shaking bushes and we're seeing what's out there and where God might lead us. And I don't know where all this is going. I don't have any announcements to make. Um, I just know people are hearing about it and getting nervous, and I've heard the word close a couple times, and I want to really clarify exactly where we are. That is not the discussion. 
The question is full-time ministry, and I don't know where that's going to be. But I also, as your pastor, wanted to give you some spiritual guidance for how to have some of these conversations. And, and I'm especially thinking about this congregation, looking at some of the prayer requests we just announced before each other, looking at some of the things we've been praying about and wondering about in our personal lives that we didn't announce today, but I know are going on. So how do we deal in times of anxiety, in times of not knowing? There's no way at this time in the church is the first time you've ever gone not knowing, right? How many of you know those times real well of not knowing what's going to happen and not knowing where God's answers are going to come from? We've all been there. We're there often. And so I want to talk about those times a little bit. I want to tell you five things today. Five things I hope you can remember as we have these conversations, but also in the times of your wondering in your personal life. I want to turn to God's word, Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 and following. Jeremiah is a prophet in Israel as they are falling into exile. So they are in or going into uh, being spread out among the land of the Babylonians. And it's a very anxious time. Most nations that get sent into captivity never become a nation again. They never come back. And Jeremiah is probably the most depressed of the prophets. Okay? If you read Jeremiah, he, he wrote a book called Lamentations. Okay? He's always whining. He's always complaining. He's probably clinically depressed at certain points in his writing and in his relationship with God. But here, God gives him great words of hope that he gives to Jeremiah, that he gives to the people. So listen to these words. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in, for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Point number one I want you to really hear. God has plans and purposes for you. God has plans and purposes for us. Plans for good. Plans to use us. Plans for a future and a hope. I do not believe in a God that is distant. I do not believe in a God that is ever surprised what you go through. Okay? I just don't believe in that. That's not the God of the Bible. That's surprised. Oh, I didn't know you were going through that. No, I believe that a God that is in a God that is close, that is with us always. If God is in any way out there, he's out there in the future, knowing what's happening. And preparing us for those things. The challenge for us is that God's plans are sometimes bigger than we understand, than we see. God's plans are sometimes bigger than our lives or our church. His plan is for the world. So what is God's plan for the world? And what is New Brighton's place in that world? And what is Westminster's corner of the kingdom that we have been given to love and to serve? 
And I think we're still wondering that a little bit. God has plans for us. Number two, you want God's plans. You want God's plans, even if they don't make sense, and even if they're not what you think you want. Um, So often we want what we want. And if God wants something other than what we want, we struggle with that. God, that's not what I want. I want this. But I'm telling you, time and time again, God gives us what we need and not what we want, and He knows better than we do. He knows better than we do. In fact, if the Bible's to be believed, guess what? In the Bible, God's will almost never makes sense. You notice that? Read the book again. Okay? In the Bible, God's will almost never makes sense. It's almost never the strategic plan. What's the one strategically recruited disciple? Judas. Judas is the one with the gifts and abilities. He's the resume that would flow to the top. All the other guys are fishermen. Okay? Five loaves, two fish, that's not enough. Well, God's kingdom works a little bit different. You want what God has for you. We would like to know what it is, wouldn't we? We'd like to see God's will. How many times in your life have you said, God, just show me the whole plan. Just show me where we're going. But that is not how God often works. What God does is give you a light to your path. Right? He gives you this much and you walk in it. He gives you this much and you walk in it and He gives you this God, just give me a bigger light. Let me see the whole thing. But that's not how God often works. It's our job to trust God. To put ourselves and our families and our church in God's hands and say, I trust you, God. No ifs, ands, or buts. No ifs. No, I'll trust God if He does not make the road hard. Or I'll trust God if it's not painful. I'll trust God if I get to have my way. No ands. I'll trust God and work on my own plan. And work on my backup. And save money like crazy. And hold back from putting my heart in just in case it doesn't work out. Trusting God, no buts. No, I'll trust God, but I'm going to say I told you so when it doesn't work out. No, I'll trust God, but he better do what I think he should do when I think he should do it. Real trust has no ifs, ands, or buts. It's just I trust you. And in the long run, I'm telling you, you want God's plan. Even if it's not what you think you want, it's what you need. One of the harshest things that God can do is give you what you want, even though it's not what you need. So God has a plan, and you want that plan. Number three, and this might be the most annoying truth I'm going to give you today. God uses times of discernment to teach and grow you. God uses times of discernment to teach and grow you. When you really decide, all right, I'm going to follow God's will, you know what God's will most often is? To wait. To wait. And it drives me nuts. Okay? It drives me nuts. God, I will do anything except wait. I don't want to wait. I want to do whatever it is. God, I will go to Africa. I just don't want to wait for you for three months to know what the answer is. And often God uses that. Often God's not going to waste that opportunity to help you learn to be patient, to help you learn to trust Him in every step. Because if you just went out and did it, you would think you did it. But God makes you wait sometimes so that you know who really did it. This means that discernment often takes time. 
it takes time. It doesn't come together right away when you really, truly follow God. And so what a lot of people do is they get impatient and they start working to do it right now on their own power. But I'm telling you, that's not what you want. You got to be patient with it. So God has a plan. You want that plan. And it may take some time to see what that is. Number four, don't be afraid of conversations. How many, how many of us don't like hard conversations? Are you that kind of person? Right? I don't like conflict. I don't like difficult conversations. I'd rather not talk about it. In fact, I'll put off talking about it for months rather than dealing straight about it. And often, we all know it makes us worse, right? It's ne- it never works out well. In fact, often we really regret it. But still in our lives, we're afraid to talk straight and have, we, we squirm. Anybody feel like squirming right now? Right? We squirm when we talk about different stuff. That is not trusting God. Okay? That is not trusting God. And that is not the faithful, mature Christian response. You gotta have hard conversations. You gotta see where things go. We have to have conversations that are challenging and uncomfortable. And I wish we didn't. I really wish we I wish we could just say, okay, let's put all the emotions aside and just talk facts, but it doesn't. Work like that. So engage. Talk. Be part of what is going on and ask questions. And number five, here's the big message for today. You can trust God. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You can trust Him with your future. You can trust Him with the process. You can trust Him with the timing. You can trust Him with the surgery. You can trust Him with the diagnosis. You can trust that with whatever you're going through, you can trust that He wants to love you and take care of you. It's just not always the way you want it to, right? We're like children. Okay, my children think that I don't love them because they don't feed them cookies all the time and buy them everything they want in the store. But I know that that's not good. I know where those kind of behaviors end up, and I want what's best for them, not necessarily what they want. And that's true of God, too. And I'm telling you again and again and again in the Bible, again and again and again in Christian history, the message has been, you can trust Him. No ifs, ands, or buts. So stop all the worst-case scenarios. Anybody else do that in their head? I'm a worst-case scenario thinker. Like, I think of how every conversation could go really bad. How everything can go really as bad as it could. No, you can trust them. You don't have to plan it all out. Trust. Just because I'm encouraging you to trust doesn't mean that we wait passively. Okay, we, we trust God. We trust God, not that he's going to open the exact door we got to go through. But sometimes you got to walk to a door and God's got to close it before you realize that's the wrong door. It means you got to be trying a bunch of doors. you got to be exploring a bunch of things. That's often how God works. So we're not waiting, we're, we're waiting to trust, but um, we're also being active. We're doing both of those at the same time. And here's the trick. The real trick to discerning God's will is that you, you've got you've to be active. You've got to look and you've got to seek. You've got to seek to be able to find. You've got to knock to find the door that's open. But at the same time, you've got to be able to quiet yourself and quiet your souls to hear God's still small voice in the middle of it. 
You got to be able to quiet and calm and say, God, I really want to hear what you whisper to me in the midst of all this. But just because I'm encouraging you to trust God doesn't mean we wait passively. Please pray. Pray for our church. Pray for guidance. Get involved in what our church is doing. If we don't have what you want to get involved in, start a new ministry here. Get going. Be active. Invite people to church. Okay? The problem is not that there are unchurched people in New Brighton, right? The problem is not that there are not people that need the message that we have. Find them. Invite them. Tell them what your faith means to you. Take a look at your giving. We really were able to do a lot with a capital campaign. We, we know we have some of that available. But honestly, and I've been a little convicted of this, especially this week, that our concerns about budget and our concerns about future are really kind of small in comparison to what God's really doing in the world. God's work in this world is so much bigger than our church. It's a kingdom movement. And every Sunday we get together and we celebrate good news. The best news ever, in fact, that Jesus died for you. I mean, think about it this way. If this week you were sentenced to death and somebody stepped in and took your position in that death, how could you look at your life the same way ever again? How could you ever do that? If that person came back from the grave... That's life-altering, life-changing. There's nothing in your world that you could see the same way again. And yet that is exactly the message that we sing in our hymns, that we do in our liturgy, that we find in God's Word. Have we come in our worship services too familiar with this great news? Has it lost its edge? Are we no longer captivated by the beauty of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing in the world? And maybe we wish our church was bigger. But I wonder if what God is really calling us to is to be deeper. Perhaps we need to look at how we're being disciples of Jesus in our own lives. Are we really following him? Are we really trying to emulate? Or is this something we're just going through the motions? Either just stopping by on Sunday morning for a visit or keeping ourselves so busy with church activities that we don't let it seep into our bones and into our souls. Let me change tone to end here. Let me end with a little story of a bricklayer who tried to move nearly 500 pounds of bricks from a four-story building to a sidewalk below. The problem was that he tried to do it alone. In his own words, submitting on the insurance company's workers' compensation form, he writes this. It would have taken too long to carry the bricks down by hand, so I decided to put them in a barrel and lower them by pulley, which I fastened to the top of the building. First, after tying the rope secure at ground level, I went up to the top of the building, fastened the rope around the barrel, loaded it with bricks, and then swung it out over the sidewalk for the descent. Then I went down to the sidewalk and untied the rope, holding it securely to guide the barrel down slowly. But since I weigh only 140 pounds, the 500-pound load jerked me from the ground so fast I did not have time to think of letting go of the rope. And as I passed between the second and third stories, I met the barrel coming down. This accounts for the bruises and lacerations on my upper body. 
Then I held tight to the rope until I reached the top where my hand became jammed in the pulley. This accounts for my broken thumb. At the same time, however, the barrel hit the sidewalk and with a bang and the bottom fell out. The weight of the bricks gone, the barrel weighed only about 40 pounds. Thus, my 140-pound body began a swift descent. I met the empty barrel coming up and that accounts for my broken ankle. Slowed only slightly, I continued my descent and landed on the pile of bricks. This accounts for my sprained back and broken collarbone. At this point, I lost my presence of mind completely and let go of the rope. The empty barrel came crashing down on me. This accounts for my head injuries. As for the last question on the form, what would you do if the same situation arose again? He answered, Please be advised that in the future, I will never, ever go it alone. Look, when we try to go it alone, we end up in a pile of bricks. We don't go it alone. That's not the Christian way. We go with each other, and we go with God. And we trust that Jesus is with us and among us and guiding us into the future. So my prayer is that God may lead us as a church and as his people. And may we have the boldness to be faithful. No ifs, ands, or buts. Amen. Our hymn is number 584, Have Thine Own Way.